and a ritual ho 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 to you. All listening here to the Rural Great Toast Smackdown Review. How fitting it is. We're looking at the 23rd of December, 1999 edition of Christmas. is very nearly upon us, which hopefully means that 2020 is almost almost done and we can all move on to the brighter days of 2021. It is me, your host, Scotty, along with Mikey. We are three people whose name you can add a Y to at the end from forming our very own Spirit Squad. Mike, <laughs> what, what are your plans for the upcoming Christmas season? <laughs> right right in 2020 off altogether, mate. Just calling it a day and like, I'm waiting for uh, waiting for New Year's Day and then <laughs> so we, we start again. The first January 1st, 2020, and everybody pokes their head out their... At the front door thinking, is it over? Can we come out now? <laughs> I've got a horrible feeling that 2021 is going to start just as bad, but we can hope not. Yeah, sadly, as we're not we're not approaching Christmas, we're still a few months away, although if you work in retail, it's pretty much Christmas for you already, given they seem to bring the, the Christmas decorations out earlier and earlier every year, given that I've got many relatives who work in retail, I know that is a, how sadly accurate that is. Yeah, but having worked in retail, I know all too well, mate. I know all too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mikey, I meant to ask you uh, last week uh, about like, particular favourite wrestlers. Uh, are, you, are you a fan of by any chance of Bret Hart? Not really. <laughs> oh, well, never mind. You shouldn't be too depressed by the thing I'm going to mention here. As obviously, I talk about what happened on the, the Raws for the episode of SmackDown. But I want to talk about a noteworthy thing happening in the world of wrestling in the late 99. As obviously, it's a Christmas episode of Raw. You've got Stephanie and Triple H backstage in their holiday office, uh, dishing out their own brand of holiday cheer. And you know, I think, what was WCW putting on to, to counter this? Well, that would be the very episode of Nitro where NWO 2000 was formed. Oh, God. <laughs> Yeah, because I didn't realise because I, re- I found out that the night before this Raw would have been Starcade 99, where Brett gets the kick that ends his career at the hands of Goldberg. And then the next night, they so they end that match with a Montreal screwdriver basically rehash because Vince Russo is now at the helm of the bloody booking committee. And then Brett comes in the next night thinking that was bullshit. And they even admit that by Piper, who was the referee, saying, oh, that was I only helped screw over Goldberg because they wrote it into the script because the bloody was so like, oh, it's real is that a shoot? Well, all that brand of crap and then they, Brett vacates the title to help give Goldberg a fair rematch for the vacant title later that night on Nitro only for then NWO 2000 to form with Kevin Ash Jeff Jarrett and Scott Hall joining Bret Hart to form this new NWO 2000 with black and silver Logo, so it's all fresh, all new. Yeah, the ninety nine was a weird time for uh, for, for them, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Also, like that, like, this is one of two things that apparently made you cool at this time period. Either you added something that words two thousand at the end of it, or you could do what the Hardys or the Dudleys did and put a Z where an S should be. That's how you let people know you were cool. Uh, I'm guilty of that with an old email address. I'm very much <laughs> guilty of that. And then years following that, it would be uh, it would be replaced by adding an X 
where X, everywhere X standing for extreme, even though extreme starts with an E. But I don't need the E because I'm so extreme, that kind of thing. Obviously, that's the, that's the only way to <laughs> portray how, how extreme you actually are. Exactly. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's what's happening over in WCW, just to show just no matter what may happen here in WBF and this episode of SmackDown, we're going to talk about it's not really any worse than what's happening on WCW because I think, I don't know if Thunder's still on a Thursday, I think it does get moved to a Wednesday or in the thing, but so at the same time SmackDown is happening on Thunder, but the NWO 2000 are coming out showing you that how even though uh, Brett and Goldberg were fighting against Nash, Hall and Jarrett in the weeks in the Starcade, it was a setup all along. This is how our master plan all came together, including Brett vacating the title that he already won for some reason. And they even said, oh, we're not going to water this down by having by adding new members. A week later, they had Scott Steiner and then the Harris brothers join it. It wasn't watered down whatsoever. I, it, it was a diet. It was that they were already rapidly in decline at this point, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Because I, I only bring this up because, like, I think it's not where they talk about because it it's one of the famously bad ideas to try and reboot like the success of the NWO and WCW. And also, I mentioned briefly with Sam when he was on that. It was around the when he joined. It was around the time of WCW Mayhem, which was the first official pay per view under Vince Russo's kind of watchful eye of the booking world. So I'm just like basically checking back in to WCW to just see how that's getting on. If Vince Russo's living up to the the hype and saving WCW as he claimed to save WWE. Um, I'm, just, I'm just look. I'm just looking at Mayhem now and just see what the card actually was. Yeah, basically, oh. the case of him trying to rehash the success of the deadly game tournament. Oh God, it's it's not nice. It's not nice looking at. It's really <laughs> not. No, yeah. As soon as he came out, the title was vacated, and then they had a tournament, and then, but he, like, if you think the title's already went through a lot of shit at this point in the late nineties, it's two thousand for that belt. I got severely battered around. <laughs> I say this as somebody who's watched the WCW uh, episode of Nitro from 2000 where Vince Russo put the title on himself as part of a punishment. That was uh, certainly a a time. And what was more frustrating than the fact that he put the belt on himself is that the ending, it goes off air literally as soon as the finish to the match happens. So he's not officially declared the champion. Like that through a two-hour episode of Nitro, and he doesn't even get declared the champion until apparently the following Thunder. So, as if it was somehow me get those two hours I wasted watching Vince, Vince Russo book Nitro in late 2000 anymore worth it. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure there's many worse things you could have been doing with your time, but you know. I'm sure I could come up with a short list. But Possibly. It'd be a, it would be a short list. Mm-hmm. Speaking of short, the NWO 2000 will be done by the January pay-per-view. Basically, uh, sold out because Bret Hart couldn't compete anymore because of his concussion. And then Jeff Jarrett missed out on his scheduled match. And then they transitioned Kevin Ashton to being a heel commissioner character. And people will only remember sold out for uh, somebody who they put the belt on who then showed up alongside his pals in the WWF the following night. But we'll cross that bridge in a few weeks when they come to it. But... Coming to the WF, your 
I should mention this so you're not a fan of Bret Hart. Is there any particular people you remember this time you would remember being your favourites during this time? I should have probably asked the last thing. Um, I mean, I was, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, I, was a, I was a fan of all the kind of the, the, the bigger kind of larger than life characters. So obviously your, your rocks, your, your takers and your, your, and your um, stone calls. No, I was never a massive Triple H fan, still really not to this day. I mean, I, I, I want Jeff Hardy, I kind of cite as one of my favorite wrestlers ever, but this was kind of just on the cusp of him becoming the proper Jeff Hardy that I grew up loving, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I, the uh, main reason I asked about Bret Hart is because I didn't know what your thoughts on Bret Hart were. I didn't want to tarnish them by reminding you of NWO 2000 because, you know, people who have listened to me on these podcasts or on ESSR know I'm a massive fan of Kane and my bias towards Kane will especially come out when I talk about this particular week that we're talking about here, uh, which makes it all a little sadder nowadays hearing stories about him basically trying to undermine people who are trying to make mass mandatory in the district where he is now mayor. I'm just trying to ignore it all, just fingers in my ears, rocking back and forth, just humming slow chemical to myself, trying to remember Kane <laughs> as he was. Uh, he, he was. He was a monster from the day he came, from the day he came in. <laughs> and then it all just went very odd towards the end. Yep. Yeah. This is, a, like I said, a Christmas episode of, of Ron Smackdown. WWE, especially when it comes to presenting episodes of their television program around the holiday season, it can be very hit or miss in terms of quality. I mean, we should never forget the time in 2012, I think it was, where Del Rio ran over Santa Claus. Oh, God, yeah, I remember that. <laughs> Just a week before, week after he decided to start turning on face, but then they need a heel for that Christmas episode. I think Del Rio, you've got a car. Run over Santa, and then we'll reboot. Then we'll try again with your face run, and wonder why people aren't cheering you. Uh, you got a question it sometimes. <laughs> yep. And uh, obviously, WWE even went as far as to actually make their wrestlers work bloody Christmas Day as well a couple of years ago. Oh yeah, of course. Cool. That was yeah. I, I don't I, I don't understand why you wouldn't just bulk bulk mm. record and actually let your talent have time off. Yeah. Uh, I think that's what they used to do as well. And I don't even think it was a network. I think some people say it was a network and the network wanted an episode of Raw or then or, or the network said, oh, they don't need Raw, but then Vince insisted on doing an episode. I don't know why they just didn't do a best of that particular year, that, that episode. It's, yeah, oh, yeah, that'd be that'd be the easiest thing, but you know, mm-hmm. Vince will, Vince is going to Vince. <laughs> Vince is going to Vince, but he's not going to Vince on these big episodes of Ron Smackdown that we're talking about because, as we mentioned last week, Vince has buggered off alongside Jane, leading Stephanie and Triple H in charge of the show, and it just keeps going back and forth from Stephanie and Triple H being in the back and making matches. They got their Christmassy themed. Office, they got the uh, Mean Street Posse all dressed in tuxedos, basically as their their butlers, and they make such matches as Christian and Jeff Hardy versus Matt Hardy and Edge, as well as a uh, Triple H trying to put book uh, Kurt Angle against Viscerati because Triple H is desperate for Angle's undefeated streak to come to an end. 
because for whatever reason he can tell that Stephanie's kind of thinks he's cute and he doesn't like that. They also book a phenomenal triple threat tag team match of the Dudleys versus the Acolyte versus the fabulous Malin Mae Young. No, I mean, the whole involvement of Moolah and Mae Young around this time was just, I mean, there's some strange things going on. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, some very strange things. Uh, I know you mean, I don't know what you may feel about JLO as a commentator, but he was just as well you... I'll start again. Yeah, whatever your thoughts may be of Jerry Lawler as a commentator, whatever he may have said that offended you on this show cannot be worse than what I had to sit through on Raw. And that Jerry Lawler wasn't even there. He was at, apparently at the premiere for Man, o- Man on the Moon, the film about Andy Kaufman starring uh, Jim Carrey. So we had the team of JR and Michael Hayes on commentary. Oh, wow. Yep. I, I, I cannot stand Michael Hayes as a commentator or maybe in general because I remember think one of the UK pay-per-views Rebellion I think it was he was on commentary with JR for the entire two and a half hours and it was he was one of the worst commentators I've, I've heard he's popped up once or twice I thought okay we're done we're moved on Michael Hayes and then he popped up and I'm like oh no not again like all, all I th- all I think of whenever I hear Michael Hayes is the 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 old doot 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 from <laughs> something to wrestle with. <laughs> I could I could use more of that on commentary, but we didn't get. I mean, given it's a Christmas episode, uh, the most fine comparison I can make here is that Michael Hayes is that pair of socks that you suddenly find in your stockings that you didn't want. That's what he is on commentary. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way of putting it. <laughs> Uh, there's even a segment where they come out. I mentioned the, the segment with GR last week where they randomly just have Stephanie slap them for what he said about them. Like they could have just done an in ring thing about that. Like, no, that they need, and I talked about last week how unnecessary that segment was. And it shows because they had a segment again with GR and the ring on Raw. So they could have just saved their reaction to what GR said for this episode where they insult JR and they basically uh, run him down for what he said and then they try and break JR's arm and then Mankind comes to JR's defence and he starts running down Stephanie and Triple H and saying that my man Hill's regime sucks and all that and Triple H tells uh, Mick Foley that he'll be in a boiler room brawl against Santa. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, like like you say, the the kind of holiday season episodes of WWE of uh, like they're either a, they're either phenomenal or they are horrendous. There's no in between. No, there's no in between. And it's also well, Mick Foley walks in, he sees him and dresses Santa, like a little pretty good looking Santa as well, and that he he suits the role. Like he's got a real beard and not a fake one and all that. Because then he says he's going to let Santa leave because you know he doesn't. He wants gifts this year and all that crap. And then he, he lets Santa leave and then suddenly a bunch of other Santas, like the three of them all jump like fully but easily fends them off. And then the outlaws come in dressed as Santas and they get there's a backdrop through a table and actually looks like McFoley's gonna win, he's gonna walk out the 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 front door. And then another Santa, which happens to be Triple H dressed as Santa smashes a glass picture frame 
in Mankind's face and then smacks him with a really heavy toy sack. And uh, Triple H says, and he heard him exclaim as he rode out of sight, I've got two words for all, suck it. And then Triple H just wanders off. <laughs> oh, God, strange times, mate, strange times. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's very strange things. Uh, I think it was a, I mentioned the force that they accidentally knock a vase on Stephanie and Triple H, so then they get put into a match with Tukul and Rikishi as a punishment and easily get destroyed. And another plot point, I mentioned Kane earlier on, he got granted a WF title match against the Big Show. And with the weird stipulation of if Kane loses, Tory must spend the holidays with Xbox. Uh, to like, which is which I remember. I think I remembered that happened, and then I forgot about it. And I was watching the thing, and they tell sorry if Kane loses, you spend the holidays with Xbox. I'm like, oh god, not this! No, I I know where this is going. And, and considering I mentioned before, Kane and Big Show had a a decent match on Raw a few weeks ago, and then they had a decent match here. Everything was like a all given anywhere match, and Again, considering 90% of the Kane and Big Show matches are terrible, somehow they saved, two of their, they saved all their effort for two TV matches in 99, and years later when they would fight each other on pay-per-view, they decided not to give a shit. <laughs> Different mentalities. I mean, you quite often get it, though, where you have... A, a TV match that turns out to be a, a, like an underrated banger, and then whereas where a match for pay per view is supposed to be hyped up and it's meant to be a lot better, it's just like it, it, you see it quite often. It just all quite, can easily fall flat. Mm-hmm. And uh, I should mention, I'm double checking my notes. It didn't start out as a uh, no DQ match. It got later made a no DQ match as I went along by, by Triple H, and then they brawl through the into the over the barricade in the crowd. They get carried out. Stephanie then tells them it's no count out, and you know what, false count anywhere as well. And then they start brawling through the crowd. The outlaws distract Kane, it looks like he has a match one. And Big Show with a very awkward powerbomb, despite being billed as £500, struggles to fully get Kane up as he powerbombs him through the announce table, pins him, and then the camera cuts away from the WWE champion retaining his tail as quickly as possible to show the outlaws throwing Tory over their shoulders to run up, take her running up the ramp towards the Xbox. It's not even there. They're just t- just taking a taking her back to uh, X Park's strange, weird dungeon. I was gonna say taking them back to his lair. Yeah, that's it. Lair. That's the word I wanted. <laughs> yeah, creepy fast. <laughs> and, and then Test is further further emasculation for Test. He got put to do a handicap match and didn't realise he was being put in a handicap match until he got out there and was told his opponents in this handicap match. And he was put in a handicap match against the Outlaws. The Tory is like, he's protected the face mask off because his nose has been broken. And then they happened with a Famouser. Again, Tess is not going to get a chance to get comeuppance against Stephanie or Triple H here. So again, this all feels very pointless. Yeah, and I do feel sorry for Tess's uh, nose in all of this scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> for the over these couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you you think? I mean, last week on SmackDown, you you may have some hope if you're watching that live that he's going to eventually get some revenge. And then, as soon as Mick Foley came out for his segment on Raw, you realise that this is what they're really building to. Mick Foley's the one 
to stand up to them, not test. Which which is a shame because, like you like you said, that test deserves his his kind of day in the sun, for want of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. I also mentioned last time that well, I wonder why Triple H wasn't immediately booked himself into a title match, and. I said it's because around this time it'd be reported in the observer he's suffering from a minor injury. I believe it's his knee, uh, something that requires surgery, but it would keep him out of the ring for a couple of weeks. And that was reported around the same time as an injury to Matt Hardy was reported. And the injury kind of came in this match when he teamed with Edge against Christian and Jeff Hardy, where uh, Christian and uh, Jeff get the win after uh, Jeff hits the 450 after Christian hits his unprettier. And I think there was a, same, a sequence where Matt kind of bonks head with somebody and it, it kind of like it led to a minor concussion for Matt. But, you know, you know, if it was to the AEW, could definitely continue the match and keep wrestling for the next couple of weeks. But, you know, WWE back in the 99 was a bit smarter than that. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, questionable decisions by AEW a few weeks ago, however long ago it was. Yeah. Uh, Honestly, as soon as I heard or heard the report that Matt Hardy got injured, I thought that's full hanging fruit there to bring up AEW, isn't it? Obviously, it obviously. <laughs> so Matt's getting injured, he doesn't show up to, to SmackDown and then he'll show up uh, next week on Raw with a black eye still not wrestling just quite yet. So it's gonna keep Matt outside out the ring for a couple of weeks. So yeah, both Matt and uh, Triple H suffering from minor injuries are in this time. But also talking about uh, Man on the Moon and Jerry Lawler not being there. He's going to be on SmackDown, but have you ever actually watched Man on the Moon? Because I haven't. I haven't, no. Yeah. I don't know. I, all, most I've seen of it is really from that like Jim and Andy documentary that came out on Netflix a few years ago. Okay, I've, I've, I've not seen that either, so I'm completely clueless in this, in this situation. Yeah, like, a lot of people think that really, that, like, Jim Carrey going mental is only something that happened in recent years, and then you watch this documentary and think, yeah, he's always been not quite right as Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah, I think that's a, a semi-well-known fact that he's always been a little out of a screw loose, potentially. Mm-hmm. So, with all, like say, with all the with NW, poor NWO reboots and Christmas episodes of Raw out of the way, I think we'll just dive right into SmackDown. Yeah, let's, 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 talk, uh, let's talk the blue brand. Let's start the blue man. And we start with a, a cold open with mankind trying to kind of rally the locker room and kind of a union against Triple H and Stephanie. And like, think come on. And he, this is one, the one that makes everybody laugh except the posse going, who really needs to see the posse seven times in a single show? <laughs> and the posse are sitting there back like, what the hell did we do? <laughs> I, did, I, I did like that line. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly Stephanie comes in and she suddenly she's not welcomed by everybody. But then she says like she'll let personal business get in the way of uh, running the company. She's a bit man. This is her company, and basically says she's still with Triple H, but it's going to be her running the show. And from there on, Triple H is going to have no influence. She's going to be fair, and to show that she's going to give mankind a match with a big show for the WF title with Triple H suspended in a shark cage. And she gives Tess a chance to get some revenge on DX by putting in a match with Road Dog. And the, the Rock is going to have a match with Al Snow in a cage match. And basically, again, saying that she's done with Triple H. And 
having said that, and given that Coach and Stephanie have been basically running things ever since this period, as soon as she said she's done associating herself with Triple H and DX, and going to keep business and personal separate, immediately it's like red flags everywhere here. Yeah, you, you, you think, where's this actually going to go? And I, I, I thought the, the, the implementation of, a sh- of the shark cage was quite interesting. I was like, oh, okay, that's that's different. You didn't often, it wasn't an overused kind of gimmick at this point, which which was good. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed, it comes out of nowhere, and we'll, give, we'll talk about Rover's thoughts on where the storyline goes uh, at the very end of the show. But like, her implying that already she's like not associating herself with Triple H and he has no influence in the booking right now. Like, given that that comes just after like them like teasing arguing when he accidentally insults her and then he doesn't like the fact that she's she likes Kurt Angle is like again like it's too early into their run to be teasing ascension so I, I just at first like I don't know where this is going I don't know if I like this yeah it was it was it seemed it seemed very early which again like you say made you think mm, what's actually going to go on here mm-hmm. again I think this may be a case of they need a plot for this episode and it's Christmas and they all want to go home for the holiday so they just came up with the first thing that came to mind. But we'll start off with a, a title match where Hardcore Holly gets, his, gets a shot at the Intercontinental Championship against Chris Jericho and Mike, I promised you a rant a couple of weeks ago about when we came to the second episode of the show and this is, this is it, my friend. I'm, I'm, I'm braced and ready. We don't talk about too much on commentary, and maybe this is the one match that I'm glad that Gerald Lawler wasn't around on Raw for. But I'm going to tell you how Hardcore Holly earned this title match. In the first ever, as Triple H described it, top rope, the holiday top rope topless match. What is that, you may ask? Well, Val Venus, the European champion, uh, takes on Hardcore Holly in a match where BB is meant to be in the corner of Val and Terry Reynolds is in Hardcore Holly's corner. And basically the object of the match is, is that both men need to throw, every time one of the men throws another over the top rope, the one representing the person who got thrown over the top rope must remove an article of clothing until that woman is topless. Therefore, the person who's representative is topless loses and the other guy gets the IC title shot. Confused yet? <laughs> Very confused already, mate. <laughs> and then I put it here in all caps because it says the Wonderful Face Intercontinental Champion on SmackDown. I put in all caps. Val already has a title. Val Venus. It's the first time we've seen him since Armageddon where he won the European Championship on Raw or SmackDown. He appears on Raw to earn a shot at the Intercontinental Championship when he's already European champion. So just showing that, oh, by the way, we don't give a shit about the uh, European Championship because the IC title's got more prestige than this belt. And then the fans don't give a shit about any move these guys do that doesn't involve going anywhere near the top rope because basically the crowd are absolutely silent and then, oh, they're going towards the top rope. Hey, throw them over, throw them over. And there's a bit where they both kind of stumble over the top to the outside and then that means both women have to take something off. And then eventually Val gets the win. BB has to take her top off. But then just as she does the reveal, Triple H kind of covers her. So it's only him that sees it. So massive booze for Triple H. 
and then you don't see anything. Arthur Hall has got his title shot. And also, I, mean, I don't mean to sound misogynistic when I say this, but Terry Reynolds looked appalled to be a part of this segment. And yet, every time we see, we see Terry, she looks like she's barely wearing anything at all. Like, or, or what she does wear is basically see-through. But then Triple H books in this match, all oh, the indignity of having to take my clothes off on TV. How is this any different from what you normally do on a weekly basis, Terry? No, I get that. <laughs> Wearing like half tops that show our entire rib cage, like because a woman is so thin, you can play we can play our ribs like a xylophone. No, I get that, mate. Yeah, so that's how Hardcore Holly earned this title shot by beating the European champion in a match where you had to throw the guy over the top rope in order to. In order, in order for a woman to take her clothes off so they get an icy title shot. But the people who were involved in the match, people who were watching the match, cared more about the woman taking their clothes off than whatever was at stake. You could have told them that the winner of this match earned custody of their own mother and they wouldn't be paying attention. They would just be looking at the, up at the stage and think, oh, who's going to take something off next? <laughs> it was a, yeah, I mean, it was crazy, a completely different time, wasn't it? And that was kind of. It shouldn't have been, but it was the norm back then. Yeah. And I remember watching this thing. I was like, this is probably the most angry I've gotten in some time watching something as part of this retro review that doesn't involve test. Uh, just watching this, like, again, we keep trying to try and raise a little different time and all that, but still, like, it was just unbelievable. Like, we're a couple of months away from Lee and Trish coming in, and this is the shit we're getting. I mean, they uh, yeah, they certainly did change the game, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but luckily we've got Chris Jericho to take our minds off it. He runs down Hardcore Holly and says he's going to give a seasonal beating. He's going to date the halls of Hardcore Holly or something like that, he says. And uh, someone has a sign saying Hardcore Holly's only fan. And for, for a second, I thought they were holding a sign advertising Hardcore Holly's only fan site. I thought Hardcore Holly's ahead of his time. <laughs> innovator, mate. He was an innovator. Although, I'd, I, 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 sh- I worry to think what would be involved in Buddy Only Fancy run by Hardcore Holly. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would be concerned as to what you would, what you would, uh, what you would see. Yeah, as I might. you can only, uh, you can only subscribe to it if you. He sends you a scale and you only take your money if you're over £400. If he sends you a super heavyweight, then you can sign up to his OnlyFans. <laughs> it's a very uh, it's, it's a very niche product. Mm-hmm. But as, as, as much as we joke about Hargall and his like, lack of like, character or charisma, he's a solid worker, so it makes it, so he's a perfect fit for like for somebody to challenge for the Intercontinental Championship. Yeah, the always saying it's a workhorse kind of title. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, this really awkward looking spot where it basically was designed so hardcore he gets fit and over. I think there was, I don't know what it is they were going for. Rachel uh, is obviously on the outside. They, yeah, hardcore has a drop kick and few people had a drop kick better than hardcore Holly. They have the what I like to call the uh, the flying nothing. I think it's, it's Holly comes off the top just so Jericho can get his boot right up in his face. Uh, it was a decent 
kind of match, but then Crash Holly comes in for the kind of cheap DQ in them to get involved, and then China comes out to help Jericho fend them off. And then I remembered that something happens over in the hardcore title that involves Jericho, China, and hardcore Holly. Again, it's something I've forgotten about, and then realized, like, ah, so this is how it starts. Yeah, I mean, the the involvement of China was just getting more and more frequent in matches, and it was, I don't know, it just seemed, I know it fitted the story and everything, but it just seemed more, it just seemed really forced again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so Tina came out earlier in the week on Raw when Jericho retained his title over the, against the Godfather as well. Like she lobbed the Godfather bind the rest back. So that's across two episodes of Raw and two episodes of SmackDown. Tina's gotten involved to help Jericho, and at this, at this point in time, it has to be explained as to why. And the commentator just each week like, but why is Tina helping Jericho? And I'm like, it just goes to show that probably people booking this are as clueless as we are and that they haven't just they're just booking the have her come out until they can think of a reasonable excuse to write one of the projects get away till after Christmas like ah fuck it we'll, we'll come, we'll, we can be on Boxing Day we'll come up with a reason as to why Jane is getting involved it's it's crazy when you think about it isn't it mm-hmm. uh, Triple H and the Outlaws are are annoyed backstage about what Stephanie's done you know, they were saying, like, you got to keep Stephanie in line and all that. And then we kept doing another thing where Kane is being kind of pursued by Stephanie asking her, asking Kane to kind of watch her back and saying that Kane can have a back to X Clock on Raw. Uh, if, you, if he watches Stephanie's back, she knows she hasn't made any friends through her association with Triple H. So she's worried about someone trying to come after her. And then she can't, Kane isn't really buying it. But then she tries to like talk about. Well, I can only imagine the the things that Xbox doing to Toy right now. And Kane looks even through the mask, you can tell how angry Kane is. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's another one of those weird storylines for me. I, I don't know whether it's. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just <laughs> one of those weird ones. Yeah. The fact that Kane even agrees to help Stephanie at all, given it was her who booked the the stipulation match from Raw in the first place, is already like again a red flag here. Yeah, it makes you wonder why he's not uh, gone. Oh, actually, that's uh, that's potentially a bit suspect. <laughs> so Hogger Holly may not have won the Aircoiner uh, too, but he's probably getting a comfortable seat in a monitor backstage to watch a match between two fellow super heavyweights. As uh, Rikishi is taking on Viscera. And, oh uh, God! You know my thoughts on Viscera. I made the, I made them clear. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I recently for uh, for my other podcast, Scott and Paul's Island podcast, we reviewed In Your House Four, which featured a match between uh, Mabel uh, Viscera when he was Mabel taking on Yokozuna. So you want to talk about fucking super heavyweight matches? That match. How, by the way. how bad was it? It went. It was five minutes, and I went to a double D double count out. That was understandable. Well, I only the only reason this match existed is it was meant to be Mabel versus the Undertaker. But then Mabel blocked the light drop and broke the Undertaker's orbital bone. <laughs> Which, uh, he would come back the next month with his little Phantom of the Opera mask. The fact that Mabel botched the move doing 
something as simple as a leg drop tells you all you need to know. Yeah, I remember at SummerSlam that year, he injured uh, Diesel, and uh, he just managed to avoid getting fired, and then he fucked up Undertaker, and then he suddenly realised, like, yeah, mate, you're done. You're done. And then, years later, he clearly worked on his craft, his, uh, his viscera. He's worked on his craft, and now he's back to put on five-star classics against people like Rikishi. And as this is all stemmed from their short-lived partnership at Armageddon, where they failed to uh, they failed to beat the Hollies basically because of uh, Viscera's incompetence, because Viscera accidentally spin kicked his own partner. Viscera's incompetence. Don't believe it. <laughs> it's more of a, a brawl than an actual match. Viscera is in control. He hits a splash, but then pulls Rikishi up after one. So you know. That just again shows just how much an idiot he is. Goes for another one, he misses. Uh, Rikishi, despite being pretty strong in his own right, can get Viscera up for a slab. So it just goes to show that this, there are some people that, even though Rikishi's a serious, some people he can't kind of manhandle. Mabel's like, Viscera is still quite heavier than he is. But then he does eventually get a super kick and hits the, the bonsai on Viscera for the win. It's just a case of. Viscera, get out of the way, you know, Rikishi's a little bit lighter than you, he's a much better big man than you are. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's no, it's not really difficult to be a better heavyweight than uh, than this, is it? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I mean, we, me and David Campbell talked about it when we did our Armageddon 99 review, and that, like, it probably should have just been Viscera v uh, Rikishi at Armageddon. Because like nobody was really care- nobody really cared about the match with the Hollies, and you could already tell some dissension was going to happen. Mind you, given the quality of match they put on here, I I don't think they would have put much effort and more effort into a pay per view match. No, I, th- I think yeah, you'd have got the same effort levels from from them. I mean, you got, I don't really want to knock Rikishi because Rikishi was great. Hmm. You can't really expect Rikishi to be the one. Nobody's ever going to ask Rikishi to carry a match. Like, as good as a wrestler as he is, he's, he wasn't really that much of a technician. And even though he may be the more experienced wrestler, he's never been the one in, put in charge of like carrying somebody else to a good match. Yeah, there. Well, yeah, there is that. Mm. Uh, it's also weird that in that in your house, I was watching. He was just as fat too. Uh, and that on that show, they make a difference for to trying to help inner city kids. And he was much, it's weird how much more slimmer he was in that show. And that was only in 95. So, in the space of four years, the transformation of Rikishi is just astonishing. Just ballooned, didn't he? <laughs> and ironically, he was fighting Triple H on that show as well. Bloody hell. And the uh, 90s, what a time. Crazy stuff, mate. Crazy. Mm-hmm. That, just, that would just be the tagline for this retro series the 90s what a time just for the first couple of months of it 100% 100% and then just for the, the and as soon as we get into 2000 just cross it out and just put the 2000 this little marker pen just like cross out 2000 just for a bit of it <laughs> uh, Tess is backstage he's not buying into Stephanie and what she's saying so you know Tess already showing He's actually smarter than some people would give him credit for. Because uh, obviously he knows what's been going on in the last few weeks. Even on Roy got put in that handicap match. Stephanie's kind of like trying to say that she can be trusted. And it doesn't matter what uh, Tess thinks. Like she's a boss and she's 
like say, telling them the truth. And basically, I, I tuned out during that time because I felt like I don't care what's happening here. And then I kind of perked off a bit because uh, we have a debut on this series. Jonathan Coachman is here. Yeah. Weird seeing Coach look that young. <laughs> hey, I remember how excited I was when Coach returned in 2018 to do commentary. It was good for his first week. And then as the year went on, it was just like, oh, go away, Coachman. But as an interviewer, he's always been class. I know, I'm yeah. that. Sorry. No, 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 I was just agreeing with you there, mate. I mean, as, a, as an interview, he's class, but... Uh, and, and as an on-screen personality, he was he was great in parts. But yeah, as a as a commentator, when he came back in 2018, he was awful. Mm-hmm. And what's kind of sad here is that he goes to ask the Rock a question. The Rock kind of cuts him off and cut, starts cutting a promo, and there's no actual interaction between the two because, as we'll see, is the over the next couple of years, some of the Rock's best moments come when he's being interviewed by Coach, and especially when he's ripping into Coachman himself. It's, yeah, the the dynamic there between the two just worked, didn't it? My favourite has to be like WrestleMania 18, where he tries to get Coach to say his prayers, and Coach says, "What up, G?" As they're in reference to God, and the Rock's like, "What the hell is wrong with you? What up, <laughs> G? Get the hell out of here, you freak!" It's class, mm-hmm. absolutely class. I mean, when you're really looking at it, it's basically the Rock is just basically bullying Coach when. But he does in such an entertaining way. Yeah, it's just one of those, yeah, he's bullying him, but you don't mind it so much because, again, as you say, it's, in, it's entertaining and it's coach. <laughs> and it's coach. Uh, now we've got Test out here for his match with Road Dog, and basically this is what you actually wanted to see from Test because this basically just runs through Road Dog. This is kind of the test that you want to see. But just the last few weeks, they've not made Test into like the... They've not utilised this guy, his size, because he may not be the best on the mic, but as a good guy in the ring, given his size, when he gets a bit more momentum, he can just run through people, and he looks impressive for his size. Like, he hits that elbow drop, and he can, he can get hit it from like a, halfway across the ring, and like the way he, just, he has a certain amount of moves that he does very well, this test, and he shows it here against Road Dog. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, uh, I've I've got in it. I've not really got many notes on this match. Just that obviously, Test blasted Road Dog with the with the face mask, which was great. And he, he again, same as the last episode we watched. He when Test gets going in the ring, he's brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like again, this is still like the test you want to see. Like the crowd are actually responding to it. The crowd are getting behind them, getting to see him batter Road Dog. And like again, this is like the test you really wanted to see. It's a pump handle flyer and the elbow drop after using the protected mask, as you said. And again, like I said, he has certain moves that he can do very well, the pump handle flyer and that elbow drop, especially. And then after the match, he wants to get a steel share, but then Road Dog escapes and the referees are trying to get in the way because they know if they don't stop Ted, he will probably do some do something even worse to Road Dog. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Again, that's the kind of thing where he, do, he would do that with like the Road Dog and with Xbox, but he never did anything like this when he was to try and get back at Triple H, which was one of the major problems with uh, with Tess. You should have referees trying to get in his way to stop him from getting to Triple H because he's so angry. And yeah, he just never did that. Yeah, I mean, we, we said this last time, they that they dropped the ball, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Dropped the ball with, with Tess massively. 
speaking of the uh, Triple H, he goes backstage to confront Stephanie. He's got Ro- he's got uh, Billy Gunn with him, and uh, Kane wants to get Ray up, and Kane Kane really wants to get uh, Billy Gunn and Triple H, and like Xbox again, not there, but Stephanie says like I've keep my agreement. Kane can have the uh, Xbox on Raw tonight. It's gonna be Kane versus Mister Ass. And then, like, Stephanie tries to assure Triple H it's not personal, like... And then she basically tries to imply how good it is to sleep with Triple H, which is, you, you know Triple H had to have some influence in the segment, like, what if we got to... What if we got Stephanie to talk about how much of a man I am and how great it is to be with me? Because I'm Triple H. Because I'm the game. <laughs> Stephanie doesn't really like Krangle. He's a nerd. She wants to be with the real man like me. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know Triple H is showing up to the writers' room with notes like this every fucking week. 100%. And I can also imagine Trips referring to himself as the game. Mm-hmm. We're all referring yeah. to himself in third person. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Then Stephanie has the police, these police officers take Hunter away to his, his locker room and ensure that he doesn't come out until it's time for the match. And he, these officers are going to ensure that Triple H gets in that cage, whether he wants to or not. And then we go into our next match, which is Kurt Angle taking on Edge. And uh, a couple of funny signs here. Uh, got one says, Kurt Angle, go back to Russia. And we have, all I want for Christmas is Edge. And this, one of my favourite ones here, don't read our sign. I saw that one. I loved that. <laughs> uh, uh, again, Edge is coming here. Some rare singles match for Edge during this time. Uh, Kurt Angle was booked into a match with Viscera on Raw again because Triple H wants to see Angle finally get beat. But uh, Steve Blackman actually comes out and behind the rest back hits uh, Viscera with a with a candlestick helping Angle win. And it's implied in a segment between Stephanie and Triple H that uh, Stephanie may have had something to do with telling. Blackman to help Kurt Angle keep him keep his undefeated streak going. So there you go. And yeah, decent match between Kurt and Edge. I think they would have better in the years that would follow, but still a decent round between these two. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, obviously, it was a bit of a bit of a convoluted finish with Edge getting like Edge dropkicking to Teddy, and then Blackman getting involved. So I and like you say, years down the line, they'll both have way better matches with one another. But at this point, it was okay. Because obviously Angle's still very, very early in, into his career, and Edge hasn't really hit his str- like full stride yet. So, yeah, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they would have a, a feud in two thousand and two, which would be very, very uh, important for both men, career-wise. But it's still a, a decent match, you know. Like very contrasting styles. Angle more still using the amateur wrestling offense against Edge. Uh, Edge has to stop himself because he very nearly steers the ref. Uh, Angle has somewhere to drop it, which then knocks him into the referee Teddy Long, which takes uh, the referee out. As you said, Blackman gets involved again, and then Angle falls up Olympic Slam and beats uh, Edge. And then backstage, Stephanie confronts Blackman, basically saying, like, I told you, why, why the hell do you get involved in the curse match? Well, you told me to. No, I told you to get involved in Raw. This is. That was on Monday. This is Thursday. Like, and, and busy Blackman's like, you can't tell me what to do and all that. And like, what I get from this is basically Blackman doesn't has no concept of time or what day of the week it is. Steve Blackman is his own is his own enigma, mate. 
<laughs> it, Steve Blackman operates on Steve Blackman time. I know. Like, again, Steve Blackman, charisma vacuum. Honestly, even when he's trying to like getting stiff, he's facing that like, well, I'll do what I want, even well or not. You tell me, help Kurt Angle. Like, he, he still like comes down so monotone. And again, why would he agree to help Kurt in the first place? Because it Kurt beat him at Armageddon, and then his response to being beat by Kurt Angle was to hit him in the face with nunchucks. So, by all accounts, he should hate Kurt Angle. So, even if he'd helped him just the once, why would he keep helping him? Again, like, it make, again, this makes no sense. Again, I know you're like sentencing to like the Stephanie Kurt Angle relationship, but like, why do you need Steve Blackman to be involved in this so heavily? I mean, I'm not, I'm not that fussed on Steve Blackman being involved. I always thought that Steve Blackman was massively underrated during his time, so I'm more than happy for Blackman to get loads of screen time. I mean, Lucy's been using his short burst, which I think is where he thrives. Because uh, long matches are not Steve Blackman's forte. No, I, I get that. You use him in a short burst, like you say, a short burst, and. In a hard, maybe in a hardcore match or like a kind of uh, like an MMA style match, and he was he was brilliant. Mm-hmm. Hey, we shouldn't uh, let it stay away from like the match up until the uh, the interference between Kurt Angle and Edge was still like solid. Like Angle like throwing Edge around with all it, Edge, like belly to belly suplexes and things like that. It was still a solid match between the two. But obviously, the main story is like the involvement of Blackman, and technically Angle is still undefeated, even though he's lost a tag match. But he's never been pinned or submitted yet so far in the WF, so in his mind, he's still undefeated. Um, yeah, can't go wrong with that. <laughs> even people uh, not being happy with Stephanie, we have Al Snow confronting Stephanie, saying that he should be challenging for the Dow Tale and not Mick Foley because he beat The Rock on Raw. And he did beat The Rock because he beat The Rock in a Brahma Bull Rope match, which is only the, the second time this has happened. Uh, they booked The Rock v Triple H in a Brown Bill Rope match on the SmackDown before Unforgiven. And they keep piping up that, oh, this is The Rock's specialty match. This is The Rock's main match. Because, you know, they figured, well, certain wrestlers have got their own gimmick match. We need The Rock to have his own gimmick match. So they gave him the Brown Bill Rope match. But again, I think this is the second one they've ever actually done on TV. I think it's the only, se- only the second one they'll ever do. And, this is- and Rock lost this one. And he lost the first one. So, if this is the, really the Rock's gimmick match, he's fucking shite at it. Uh, you could say the same for Taker in a Buried Alive match. Yeah, but Taker's actually won Buried Alive matches in the past. Oh yeah, there is that, there is that. <laughs> I mean, they're not as memorable as the ones he lost, but still, he's at least won them. And yeah, right, I mean, Rock only had two chances at it, so... <laughs> yeah, I... Uh, and the, it's actually a better match than you, you'd think. It's more of a brawl of like using the, the bull rope. Just when the rock has control, when he comes back in the ring, Al hits him with the, the bell that's on the rope and kind of chokes him with it. Uh, the outlaws do get involved, and Billy Gunn hits a famous throw, which Al then takes advantage of for the win. And like the commentators big up as a big deal. I can't believe Al Snow beat the rock in a Brahma bull rope match. And if there, were, if there had been more than one Brahma bull rope match before this, I would give a shit but I didn't so I mean well done to Al you know resident of our big timing fucks hall of fame but you know well done for you to, for beating the rock but 
Stephanie tells him that fine, if you can beat The Rock again a second time in this cage match, you'll get a WF title match on Raw. When you heard you had Rock the Snow in a cage match on the show, I mean, what was your excitement level for this? Me? <laughs> just, I, just, I can't, I, in all fairness, I kind of just met it with indifference because, I mean, Rock's great. Al Snow is okay on his day. Um, and I was like, okay, yeah, this, 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 is, this could be okay. But I wasn't like, I wasn't buzzing for it. I wasn't like, oh shit, this is going to, this is going to bang. And yeah, so it yeah. was okay. Yeah, I, again, much like the Brown Blue match, I think this is actually a decent match uh, than you'd expect, given obviously that Al Snow is basically not on the same level star power-wise as The Rock. Definitely. Although probably better in-ring-wise, because I think The Rock only had a certain moveset, whereas Al was more of a, a worker. And they actually start the match outside the cage before actually going in. And one thing I thought was really weird is the referee was not inside the cage. So whenever they went for a pin, the referee had to then open the cage door, run in, and count it. And whenever they kicked out, the ref didn't stay in the cage in case they went for another pin. He just buggered off back outside the cage again. you got to love some strange officiating. Yeah, either have one referee inside and one referee outside, or just have it that, oh, by the way, in this particular cage match, you can only win by escape. So that explains why the referee's not in the ring, but... Like you're just wasting time for the referee to come in. No, I know. I did think that was strange. Well, well what, what is good, though, is at least this cage looks solid when you, as in the way it's put together, because me and Sam talked about a cage match between the Hardys and the Outlaws, and even though this is a, a tape show, this look, the cage match we had looked like it was so quickly rushed together that it was being held together by sellotape, and one bump into the side of the cage, the whole thing would fall apart. The whole apart. thing would collapse. Yeah, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, like when Big Show threw Austin into the side of the cage and the door opened, that's what it would be like. Like Hardy gets flung into the side of it by Billy Gunn, the whole top lit falls down. It's like when the house falls down and Lenny's inside, like, please don't tell people how I live. <laughs> but like, I think they do their best and get Al seem like a threat given that he's already beaten The Rock and the idea that Al actually might win and get a WWF title shot. They, they do do their best. They do bring a steel chair into the ring at one point. Uh, Rock is knocked off the top rope by Al when, but Al doesn't take the opportunity to climb out. Instead he tries to walk over the rock some more. Uh, Al does go for a dive off the, the chair but he's caught with a clothesline by The Rock and Rock does get the win. Uh, not by escaping, but by hitting a spine buster in the people's elbow. So, The Rock, you know, getting some revenge by being made to look a full of in his, his special match. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, uh, going into this one, I thought, oh, Al Snow could easily win it. And I, I mean, there were points that it looked like he could win it. Uh, you could, he could win it, but obviously, yeah, it, it, it was an okay match. It didn't really, it didn't kind of grab me. Like you say, it was better than it could have been. Mm-hmm. But overall, it was just like, yeah, it was there. The right person won. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, again, like the match on Raw was decent. I'd, I'd look out if you haven't seen the, the Brahmaville rope match between Al and, and The Rock. But then, given that even though the, Al, was, Al had like, the extra motivation of potentially getting a title shot, the idea, it was weird enough to see him beat The Rock once, but seeing them beat The Rock twice in one week. No matter how they kind of booked the match and made it all look like a threat, you're like, there's no way he's beaten The Rock twice in one week. 
No, I mean when you when you look at it overall, it's that does make complete sense. Mm-hmm. But you know, fair to them for trying, and Al does have uh, pretty decent new heel music now. Yeah, I mean, yeah, all yeah, all good stuff. Yeah, it's it's, it's okay as a heel theme song. Like it's not like the most catchy theme song, but when you actually think about it, given it's for a, a heel, it probably shouldn't be. And you know, given like the new like shift in Al's character, he probably shouldn't be coming out to the whole uh, "What does everybody want?" song. Isn't it? Hang on, wasn't this one the episode where he had um where he dropped the drop? Yeah, he dropped the theme, didn't he, for this one? I think he may have had it on Raw, but I think it's the first episode of Smadden we've heard. Yeah, on that's the- yeah, that's it. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember noting that. So I, had, I watched these in close succession, so I had to double check last week if he came out which theme he had. He came out with last week because I knew like this was the time where he finally like introduced the new heel theme song. It won't have it for long, but it's a pretty decent theme given what his new character is like. He's taking the whole like guy who talks to a mannequin head to like the more psychotic end of it as a, a psychotic heel, as opposed to the kind of comedic end where it was with, with the previous theme and and that. Yeah, and like he's dropped the whole masturbation, like giving head jokes and all that. Ah, this, it was around that. It was about that time. It was perfectly, perfectly normal for those jokes, mate. So <laughs> fitted with the time. Yeah, but not for not for this time. Given these new like shifting character. But, uh, oh yeah, there is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you're if you didn't get that from my ranting when I talked to what the woman had to do on Raw, well, get ready, folks, because Ivory's backstage showing people the women's division blueprints. Claiming that the, the people are trying to build some sort of pool like thing, like they're going to be forced to wrestle in some sort of pudding or another kind of pool match, and basically it's trying to rally the rest of the women's division against these type of matches. And then she comes out to the ring to challenge the cat uh, in a title match. And uh, the funniest thing I've, I've noted about this match is that Ivy refers to boobs as thingies. <laughs> so uptight and conservative, she can't even say the word boobs. She kind of points to her chest and goes, "Thingies." Looks <laughs> <laughs> about the hard work she put in to actually establish the women's division as a, a once used champion, and says that she's the real wrestling women's champion, and that the cat can't properly wrestle. And she says she wants the cat to fight her in a match with any stipulation she wants, as long as they actually wrestle in the ring. And my main two thoughts were Ivory, thought hen, you deserve that Hall of Fame induction more and more as each passing week goes along. And two, God, what a heel she is wanting to wrestle. I know. I mean, it it was kind of a, an early indication of well, a very, very early indication of that women's revolution style style thing and how uh, the the female talent were mis mistreated and misrepresented. And it was just they were just objects. I mean, look at look at Lawler <laughs> as mm. prime prime case in point. Yeah, and again, like I don't get why I just did the heel. You're like, oh, she's depriving us of our matches at take place and pudding and all that. Yeah, boo, boo, Ivory and all that. And out comes the cat who's meant to be the face, by the way, who then decides, you know what? Fine, Ivory, I'll face you in a no DQ, no count out match. And as soon as the bell rings, she leaves the ring. China comes in and batters Ivory. It's a pedigree. 
and then Kat, Kat does a, what is maybe sexy mountain pin on Ivory and retains it's, the title. It like just, the wasn't, just wasn't good. What a valiant defending champion babyface the cat is, isn't she? Yep, definitely. I mean, well, that, that's that's what babyfaces do. They they cheat. Because mm-hmm. uh, I hate the cat. I fucking hate her. Yeah, I, I, was, I agree. I, was, I wasn't the biggest fan of her before, and I remember Eva Campbell on the Armageddon review had quite the rant about her. And I, I, did, I felt I don't, I don't like her, but maybe you're being a bit harsh. And in the last few weeks, I'm going like, oh fuck off, just go away. <laughs> no, I completely understand that, mate. Mm-hmm. Apparently, China didn't like being paired with her, and you know what? I can, I can see why. Yeah, I, yeah, I can understand that 100. Uh, percent An actor, I remember from the stream that actually hasn't appeared uh, so far in this review. I don't think. And tie, Fanaki and uh, uh, I, I, yeah, to a degree, I kind of hoped we'd skip this segment because it made for some very uncomfortable viewing. I, I very I, uncomfortable. I only noticed Kai and tie confronted by racist white posse. So, yeah. the notes that I've got I've got Kai and Tai, Fanaki and Saka chatting to Mean Street Posse about the Hardys. Wildly racist chat, then saying re-rax and not relax, mentioning of chopsticks, etc., etc. And I was just there, kind of head in my hands, and I thought, I, I, you, I, I know you can use the excuse of it was a different time and whatever, whatever, whatever. But looking back at it now, it made for not, it made for very uncomfortable viewing. And I mean, I'm not like a, I'm not a snowflake in any way. I like a, a dark humor joke as much as anybody else. And I was like, oh shit. That was not nice. Not good to see. Yeah, I mean, they keep calling them like Chinese, no matter how many times they correct them and say we're Japanese. And like, I know you're saying and, like, oh, and they say, and then they, they say same difference. And I was like, oh god. Or, or they like say, go like, yeah, whatever. Like, like it's not just that these jokes they are making like racist jokes at their expense. It's like also some of these things they're saying aren't even funny or they're just lazy. And like they're just doing it because they have nothing else to do for Kai and Tai other than just like let's just make racial stereotypes about them. Obviously, because like, cause, like you look at them like uh, Taka Michinoku, first ever WF light heavyweight champion, a phenomenal wrestler. The Michinoku driver, I think, is one of the most underrated moves in all of wrestling. You know, Fanaki, you know, he's SmackDown's number one announcer. I have fond memories of early two thousands Fanaki on SmackDown. But this is just not good. Oh, I mean, they've got, they also ditched the rest of the of Kai and Tai. You know that no good Dick Togo was obviously no a no user, as we've seen him in his current guys in New Japan. Ugh, I know, I know, it just wasn't good. But Kai and Tai are out for a tag team match against uh, Christian and Jeff Hardy. And what is weird about this is that not even though Kai and Tai are solid wrestlers. Christian, for the first part of this match, basically handles them easily on his own. So not only are they making these really lazy racist jokes about them, they don't even present them as much of a threat either. I know, it's, it's a shame. I mean, I Taka, massively underutilised in WWE. Obviously, he had an incredible run over in Japan. And I think he's still going. He was going up until a couple years ago. He's not been sh- appearing on on New Japan for the last year. Yeah, he was. He was. Um, 
ZSJ's hype man, basically, wasn't he? Yeah, Funaki, I think, still works for WWE. Yeah, Funaki, Funaki, Funaki's still uh, number one commentator, obviously. <laughs> yep, definitely. I remember, I think it was Extreme Rules one year, Stomping Grounds. Our truth went by the international commentary, but like, and while well, he's been pursued for the 24 7 title, and then Tamina confronted him, and then he hid behind Funaki, who did kind of the crane kick pose, and I went, Oh, please put the 24 7 title on Funaki. But you know, we're not allowed nice things. Obviously, obviously. Mm-hmm. But Jeff does do a dive to the outside as a brief communication between Jeff and Christian, given that they're not usual tag partners. So kind of do get a little bit of uh, offense, and uh, Jeff does the running along the barricade. I want to attack it. Quite impressive. And unprettier is what on Kvinaki. Kind of easily squashed. And then Main Street Posse have been at ringside this whole time. And do you really, really make little attempts to help uh, Kainti? And then Kainti drop kick Main Street Posse and then leg it to the back. Yep, absolutely, absolutely bolt. <laughs> and they were all left wondering what was the point of this? Like, why did Women's Street Posse even take an interest in, uh, in Kainti in the first place? I mean, I did wonder that. I kind of after that after the match, I was just sat there going, "Well, what what was the point in that? What did what did that achieve?" And the answer was, "Fuck all." Very <laughs> much. Yeah. I think that's the best way to sum it up. Yeah. Just. I, 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 yeah. I mean, I, I'm just looking through my notes now, and it's 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 very squash heavy this this evening. Yeah, uh, I've not, I've started noticing that as well. I mean, the angle edge match was a bit competitive, but there was no real doubt as to where that was going to go. No, exactly. You knew. And I mean, same with Jericho and Holly. Based on the last couple of weeks of whatever, what, based on the last couple of weeks of what had actually happened in terms of um, like China coming out and interfering, you knew it was coming. It wasn't, it, it, it wasn't a shock. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, as far as so far goes i mean i won't spoil it for any further but it's been very squash heavy and whatever whatever wasn't a squash has been just very predictable yeah because we said about the rock match like it gives us like rock put over elston on raw now it's time for him to get his win back yeah exactly exactly 50 50 booking at its finest going back to gr basically trying to warn mankind about stephanie's intentions and all that and um, it fully understands that basically he's got to focus on Big Show. He wants to like become WF champion once again. He's going to have to do what it takes, whatever it takes to do that. Uh, Triple H and Rodor try and encourage Billy Gunn and tell him that you've got this, you can beat Kane. And as soon as Billy Gunn leaves, you have uh, said that yeah, Rodor can kind of almost saying a prayer for him, like he's going to need it. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's that another fairly standard fair segment. Mm-hmm. Uh, Billy Gunn does again. We're talking about squash matches here. Like Kane just batters Billy Gunn while uh, DX are watching backstage. He throws them from each corner to corner. Massive choke slam. Kane gets the win. Done. But he, he's not. He's not done with Billy Gunn. He tries to hit a tombstone, but he, he leads through the crowd and Kane chases him to the back. They cut back from breaking. Kane's been up Road Dog and. And Billy Gunn, Triple H couldn't get out of his uh, locker room to help him because, again, the cops are there to keep him where he is until the match later on. 
and then eventually Kane stops the meeting when Road Dog eventually tells him where Xbox is, is with Tory and Kane wanders off. Yeah, I mean it's it's just all setting up nicely for the for the main, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I was hoping that this would lead to a pretty like segment, like where Kane like bursts into a hotel room looking for Tory and an Xbox, but then they're not there. Like somebody warned them that Kane was coming, but no, nothing happens. Like Kane and Tory will be reunited on Raw, like, and that's about it. But no, please, <laughs> yeah, I think that, I think that's the best. That's the best way you could have said it. It's just yeah, that's about it. <laughs> yeah, because like, why would uh, like we don't see Kane trying to go after Tori and get her back? So why did you try and you tell her where it is if we're not going to see like the conclusion of that? It is yeah, just standard fare, really, isn't it, mate? Mm-hmm. But we go to another match born out of the that. Amazing triple threat tag match between Miller and May against the Acolytes and the Dudleys. Well, the Acolytes were kind of helping Miller and May for the most part in that match. And then, but where the Dudleys were just being bastards, the Dudleys won. And then Mark Henry came in to make sure May and Miller were right after the match. But now it's Mark Henry going up against Bubba Ray Dudley. Henry then starts the match by reading a poem to me, young. <laughs> Uh, and uh, a wordsmith is that is that is that a uh, Mark Henry? Obviously. And, and Bubba Ray comes out to mock Mark. He, he mocks me for being old, and then he mocks Texas in general by just saying that their sports team sucks. You know, easy kind of cheap heat. Cheap heat. But uh, it looks like uh, it looks like Mark's going to start building some momentum, but then he gets his leg grabbed by D1 on the outside, which allows Bubba to take control. Uh, Goes up, yeah. Uh, behind the rest back, they definitely try to hit like the what's up, but then uh, Will and May kind of get involved. They shoot the top rope. Henry catches Bubba Ray with a splash. I have very little notes about this again. Another kind of squash match. My my notes, my, my notes are: Mark Henry comes out with Mula and May Young reads poem. Henry versus Bubba Ray Dudley. Devon trying to get involved. May Young and Mula stop him. Henry hits splash for win. <laughs> That's very my notes. Much. Pretty much the same as my notes. Uh, again, a very unmemorable match. I probably won't remember it as soon as we finish recording here. No, but, agree. Uh, again, I think it's just because now that they're establishing this relationship between Miller, sorry, between me and Mark Henry, so they just want to feature them on TV in some way. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's overall pretty in- inoffensive. Mm-hmm. Oh, we should, we forgot to mention a, a key thing to do with the uh, the with the cage match. Sorry, the, the match where Triple H will be forced into the cage, and that they said that Edge, Christian, Jeff Hardy, and Test uh, will be allowed to be at ringside, and once the match is done, they can kind of get the revenge on Triple H for the things that they've done to them the last couple of weeks. And I think they, they announced that Matt was going to be involved, but then Matt just doesn't show up because obviously Matt's not medically cleared to be there. So you just got these during the the Mankind Big Show match. You just you just got Edge, Christian, Jeff, and Test all just hanging around on the entrance way, just waiting for the match to end so they can I get d- at Triple H. I did find that a little bit weird. Them just all chilling at the top of the top of the ramp, but you know, it is what it is. Hmm. Uh, the cops come to get Triple H after the Mankind match to get forced in the cage. Triple H is struggling as much as he can, but he's still just being dragged, kicking and screaming 
And Schwarzenegger, like, I'm not getting in the ca- I'm not getting in the cages. <laughs> like uh, I, I, I think you are. <laughs> like a cheap ventriloquist with that. Don't put me back in the box. Don't put me back in the box. <laughs> and then we get Big Show v Mankind for the WAF title. And like, no, it's not that Big Show doesn't get main events during his WAF title run. It's just that whenever he has his match, that's the only real segment you get of man of Big Show during his during each episode of Raw or SmackDown because he's just so, such a non-factor when you think about it. Uh, yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I don't disagree with that. Because like, on Raw, as I mentioned, as soon as he won the match against Kane, they cut away from him it, where the story's been carried away. They're, all they're talking about is what's going to happen with Torres, what's going to happen with Kane as Big Show's music is playing. And only occasionally cut back to him, get his hand raised, then quickly cut back again. Like, nobody uh, nobody gets any thoughts as to, hey, so what do you think about being used as a pawn if Kane doesn't beat you, his girlfriend gets basically taken away from him? It's, it's a strange one, mate. I mean, you, 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 you quite often find that there, where a champ can be overlooked, for want of a better phrase, because there's more interest in, a, in another um, in another feud or, or whatever. I mean, it's not a bad match, this uh, match with a Big Show and Mankind, but every now and then it cuts to, cuts to the cage cam with Triple H and then cuts to cuts to Stephen McMahon on the other side, cuts to the guys on the ramp, and then occasionally cut back to the ring. I'm pretty sure commentary makes a joke that uh, Triple H, if he gets too high and he gets a nose, be given the size of his nose, he could die, he could bleed out. I'm not going to make any comments on the sizes of noses, mate. I'm uh, I, I'm fully in that camp. <laughs> uh, Mankind does take it to Big Show, being it's got with side slam. Uh, they go out to the outside. Mankind, uh, Big Show tries to use steel steps, so uh, even though they didn't announce it, I'm guessing there's no DQs in this match for some reason. Uh, Mankind hits, gets a chair and smacks the steel steps that Big Show's picked up, so the stairs fall into Big Show's face. Uh, goes back to the ring, hits Big Show with a chair shot, like like one of those like uncomfortable to watch, unprotected chair shots, just cracks right over. Yeah, what, what, they're never nice to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, tries to get Socko, but that's then both men kind of tumbling to the outside, and then for whatever reason, suddenly the cage just lowers, even though nobody ordered it. And Stephanie asks me, like, what's happening here? And then the guys in the ramp just think, oh well, that must be our cue, even though. They were told you get Triple H after the match. They all yep. start wandering down when you can just basically to sum up as the heels, and then just a bunch of mid card bad guys randomly just come out and just beat them all up. You got I seen Gangrel and the Outwas and Albert Hardcore uh, Holly's there. I'm pretty sure I saw Angle there as well. Just like anybody backstage who's vaguely heelish, one one out gets some brief TV time. Yeah, basically. Mm-hmm. Just a way, of getting, a way of getting more people on the screen, I guess. Yeah. Stephanie acts like she's trying to stop Triple H from getting it, because somehow Triple H is able to unlock the cage. And uh, and then Mankind kind of uses her as a human shield against Mankind. And then Stephanie kind of low blows Mankind. And you think, oh, she was just she was doing it out of fear and all that. Like, no, it's clearly she's in on it. Because then DX come out to beat up Mankind and Big Show revealing it was a set-up all along. What no, they surely not. What did they get out of the set-up? Really nothing. Just 
they still got to chill above the ring for a couple of minutes, but that's about it. And then Triple H and Stephanie, after they've uh, beaten up Mankind and Big Show, uh, and once again made the real champion look even more weak than he already was, Triple H and Stephanie go, we've got two words for you. Look at chance, suck it. Even though they may hate these people, they go, no, Merry Christmas. Christmas. And then, uh, and yeah, it's just, just classic uh, bait and switch, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Wow, what a load of shit. It's <laughs> 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 a swerve for a sake of a sort of like, oh, let's tease at the start of the show that Stephanie and Triple H are on the rocks. And at the end of the show, ah, uh, it was a step up. Like, what did, what benefit does it do to beat up, like, Tess, who you've been up already a, a thousand times? And I know you hate Big Show and Mankind. Like, you're not getting this. It doesn't help you take the title from Big Show. So what is the point of this? I know. And I mean, what the way you think they would do it is side with one of them, i.e. either side with Show or side with Mankind. But they don't. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they wanted a, a through storyline to keep like this because it's like two days before Christmas. This episode airs, so I think we need a through storyline. We need something to keep people engaged here. Uh, what's tease ascension? Even though it's a trope with DX and with Triple H in general that they reuse a lot around this time. Feel like they had that storyline before No Mercy, the Go Home Show, where Triple H came out with that crap makeup said. I've been bitten by a snake. At the end of the night, I'm going to hand the title over to Steve Austin. And they talk about that the whole night. He teased, he teased having to go to the hospital because he was getting worse. I then came back and revealed, Ruse, I was just there so I could just attack Austin. <laughs> Triple H is a big fan of the old bait and switch. just a bit too much. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that one, mate. I would agree with that one. Mm-hmm. But... Like, was this any better or worse, in your opinion, ratings-wise, than, than the week before? And So, so last, last week, I gave a thumbs middle, which possibly, on reflection, was a little bit harsh. I'd give it kind of thumbs thumbs three-quarter. We'll go with thumbs three-quarter. That makes sense. However, this... Just overbooked over bait and switched this this episode did absolutely nothing for me in all honesty i mean there was if in it and uh, i mean it was predictable granted the bait and switch with trips and stuff it could you in that time you may not have seen it unless you were being really smarky and then you were like oh well it's obvious um the the bit with kai and tai and the mean street posse uh, angle and edge was was solid um and the rock and rock and snow was okay but overall man i mean it's just it just wasn't a good show no i mean i i was wondering if i was being too harsh when i gave last week's show a thumbs down but then this show happened and i'm wondering i can't give two thumbs down in a row but all reflection when we're talking about it even no matter how many notes i put down about it i still couldn't find any way of giving a fuck about these segments we had to talk about here. Yeah, just it was just a mess, wasn't it, mate? It was it was a horrible I'm I'm giving that thumbs down as well. And is there anything is there even one thing on this show you would tell people to go back and watch? Because 
for me, maybe the, the cage match, predictable as it may be, it's still an entertaining cage match, for especially for a TV show. Yeah, it was okay for a TV... I mean, if, 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 if you're watching this episode... Enjoy the enjoy the cage match. If you're not watching this show, don't go out of your way to watch it. You've got no, no need. You've got no need to do it. The uh, the re- the the fruit or the the orange or the pair of socks at the uh, bottom of your stocking is this episode of SmackDown or a horrible knitted jumper that your grand gives you too itchy and too small for you, but you but you're too scared to tell her how you crap it is because you don't want to break her poor heart. Because she spent 14 hours knitting it. Because <laughs> she's got nothing else to do, yeah. <laughs> exactly that, buddy. Exactly that. Only 14 hours. If, it, if, it, if the book continued more than 14 seconds to come up with this fucking show, we'd be, more, we'd be nicer about it, but God, this was awful. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. <laughs> but you can hear us talk about better shows in the archives here, Rogue Opinions. Uh, some better episodes of Spat doing some better shows in the world of wrestling. The shows that me, like the me and Nathan and Jimmy would have talked about. We've got the Bantry Munich podcast. Maybe you'd rather watch episodes of Bake Off. If so, uh, recent car obviously started a show recapping the episodes of the Bake Off. So if that's your thing, go ahead. Uh, I've got podcasts about football and all sorts here and rogue opinions. Uh, Bake Off is brilliant, mate, I will say. <laughs> <laughs> it's a guilty pleasure of mine and I won't talk about football because I had to watch my team barely scrape past a team that are three divisions lower than us in the cup so uh, I mean I mean, I'm, I come from a family of Rangers supporters I've had my own we've had our own struggles here so, oh I mean, yeah I, I, I feel that don't need to get into that but Mike is, is uh, Russell Bob still if you if you guys want to follow him on Twitter, I'm sure he'll he's regularly checking out Harker Holly's OnlyFans site, or at least he'll start one up if he hasn't got one already. In all fairness, mate, I'm I'm tempted to to set to start one. <laughs> I just have to go through like the the kind of really scummy pages on on Reddit, um, <laughs> and try and find some really weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I appreciate you joining me for the last couple of episodes. I'm just. Sad that we didn't have better episodes to talk about. <laughs> hey, we'll do it again, mate. We'll do it again, and hopefully, we'll get some uh, get some better episodes. Yeah, here's hoping you know, 2000 is right on that horizon, and we're just just waiting to get there. And that's hopefully when things will get a lot better. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but uh, thank you all for listening to our bitching and moaning about this episode, and uh, we'll see you next time on, on the next episode of the Rogue Retro Smackdown series.